You guys can go ahead and be seated. My name's Paul, if we haven't had the opportunity to meet yet. We are into week two of a series called Dangerous Prayers, and it follows along a book written by Craig Grishel, who's the pastor of one of the largest churches in America. It's a really encouraging book. I'd encourage you to pick it up, give it a read over these next few weeks, and I believe it's going to be beneficial to your spiritual life and to your health as a person. Um, Dangerous Prayers, and so we're kind of following some of that curriculum as we go through this. And as we start off today... As I was thinking about this message, I was just kind of reminded that I know some of us in the room, at least in this stage of our life, we're kind of like anti-going to the gym and working out. Like, not that everyone would ever get a shirt made that says that, but I just want to affirm you for a minute if that's your position, because the fact is, going to the gym and working out and lifting weights, it's destructive to your body. It, it, it is. I mean, on, on the most true level, it is. Because what happens is when you get a heavy weight and, and you lift it and the muscle elongates and, it, and it's under tension, it actually creates lots of little micro tears in your muscle. Who wants to go put micro tears in your muscle? That sounds terrible. But, but you do that and that's what you're doing when you're working out. And then the next day you get sore and you get pain from it. And, and that doesn't sound appealing either. Why would we want to do that? Well... What, what happens is your muscles, the way that they get stronger, the way that they get larger, is those micro tears heal and then the muscle is now stronger and larger. But to get to the point where that muscle, muscle is healthier and bigger, you go through a process that requires a little bit of pain, a little bit of tearing. And so the question becomes, is being stronger worth the pain that you have to go through to get stronger. To, to get to the end that you want, how much pain is it worth it to go through? And what's true in our physical health, what's true in going to the gym, it's also true in our spiritual health, it's true in our emotional health, it's true in our relationships. To get to, get to a stronger point, there's often work and experiences that feel unpleasant and feel painful and might even feel like it's destructive on some level. But to get to a healthier place, we have to move through that. And the prayer this week, it, it's a prayer that quite honestly, it's an unpleasant prayer to even think about praying. Last week was much more fun. Lord, search me and know me. Show me things about myself that I don't understand. Like, that's kind of a fun thing to experience and ask God to do in your life and then have him show you things that you didn't know about yourself. That's appealing, at least on some scale. We might be scared to find out, but it's at least a little bit, it's more appealing than this week's prayer, which is, Lord, break me. Because when we think about praying a prayer like, Lord, break me, at least initially, my response is, why would I want that? That sounds unpleasant. That sounds painful. That sounds like something that, that is not required. God can't, like, like, let me pray something like, God, let me eat dessert and get skinnier from it. Like, like, give me a pleasant prayer to pray. But as we look through Scripture and Jesus' teachings and Jesus' experience and the experience of the apostles, we identify that there's just this truth that for us to get healthier, there, there's experiences that we have to go through that will be unpleasant. A.W. Tozer is a famous author and philosopher, especially in Christian thought, and he, he suggested this. He said, it's doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he hurts him deeply. And that's just, you know, his, 
his view of what he's seen in the world, but I just want to begin to suggest to you, because as we go through life and we experience difficulties and challenges and things don't come easily, and they're not just handed to us, there is something inside of us that pipes up and says, well, if God was in this, this would have just happened easily. I've seen these things happen for other people. I've seen other people just have great luck, but for whatever reason, I'm having to fight and I'm having to struggle. And when you have that voice, when you have that experience, I want you to call this truth to your mind, that God calls us through times of difficulty and often he has to break things in us largely because we've fallen in love with the wrong things. We've fallen in love with pride. We've fallen in love with other people's experiences. We've fallen in love with comfort. We've fallen in love with the idea that we have for our life. There's so many things where our heart has attached to the wrong thing that when God looks at it, he says, for you to get healthier, I need to trim this. I need to change this. And so this prayer, it may not be a prayer that you're ready to pray, but I want you to understand that this prayer is out there. And when you're ready to ask God to work in your life in this way, he's ready to say yes. And the experience may not be pleasant, but it is going to be beneficial. And we're going to hop into a passage in Mark chapter 14. We're going to look at a couple passages, and we're going to be starting with verse 3. And we'll project this up on the screen behind me as I read it. It says, Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. While he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard. She broke open the jar and poured the perfume over his head. Some of those at the table were were indignant. And why waste such expensive perfume, they asked. It could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. So they scolded her harshly. We're going to work through this passage, and just even at the beginning, it's kind of a footnote in the passage, but I think it it deserves some recognition that it says, meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. Like, there's a story right there. Like, like just the footnote of the guy who was hosting the party, the dinner, the get-together, he used to have leprosy, and it's indicated that he used to have it because of Jesus' presence, And I don't know about you, but if I was in an experience where my life was almost over, I mean, because first, in case you're not familiar with what would happen, if someone had leprosy at this time, they would be outcast from everyone else. There would be no physical affection from any family members. You would have to pronounce yourself as you walk down the streets as unclean so that people could stay away from you. I mean, your life was wrecked if you had leprosy. So as, as he experienced healing... His life was given back to him. And I have to think that if you've walked through an experience like that, you party better and harder than anybody else. Like you celebrate what God has done like incredibly because your life got restored. Which just even as bonus sermon content right now, uh, your past pain, has that made you bitter? Or has that made you someone who celebrates where you are even better? If you've walked through things that are difficult, like someone who had leprosy, like someone who thought their life was over, 
How has that affected your worship, your happiness, your joy? Do you recognize that you still have breath in your lungs for a reason and you have an opportunity to worship? You have an opportunity to pour love out on other people. Has your past pain caused you to be bitter and to retract or has it given you a new opportunity to celebrate? That's just bonus content for you. That's not really where we're going today. But, but, but take that. Th- think about what your past experiences have done to you And this man, Simon, he had previously been a leper. And while they were there eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume. Luke 7 is a passage that parallels this. And if this is the same woman, Luke 7 actually gives an additional detail. And it refers to her as an immoral woman, which is what they would use to to not so subtly say that this woman was a prostitute. And so if these are the same, same woman, then we, we, we enter the situation where we have the person who was a leper, we have Jesus, and we have a lady who, who is a prostitute. And she comes in with her perfume, and there's so many intricate details that you have to consider as we enter this situation to really put yourself in, in the moment, in the meaning of the moment. That, that first of all, what would it take for a woman to end up in a job like that? At, this, at that time in history. I mean, largely it was abuse, largely it was something that happened to her that would make her be considered unacceptable to anyone else and she was left with no alternative. And whether it was a decision that she made or a decision that was forced upon her, that's not a trade that, that people aspired to as youths. And it was something that would make her despised in the eyes of the women in the community She would have been used by so many of the men in her community, including good men. So what would happen in her that would make her decide to do something like this? And one of the the details is that most women would never be able to afford perfume like what's described in this passage. And in fact, it's described as a beautiful alabaster jar of perfume. And this perfume, you know, we're, we're talking about in Israel. It, it would have been brought from the Himalayans, from East India, all the way in. It was incredibly expensive. It was from a very rare root, and it was used to make this. And so as it's described in the passage, it says that it was worth about a year's wage. To translate that into our finances, we're talking about a woman walking in in an act of worship and love and affection to to Christ, pouring out $60,000 on his head. I mean, this is, this is kind of like a mind-boggling situation because here is someone who you would say, this person probably shouldn't be around in church if this is the activity that she's in, if this is her line of work. And then let alone, okay, now she, she's having personal, physical contact with, with the rabbi, with the Messiah, with Jesus himself. Like, she did not deserve to be there. But yet there she is, and she's doing something that as she pours out this $60,000 in our terms of oil, out, of perfume out onto Jesus' head, all the religious people in the room begin to freak out. What are you doing? You're wasting so much money. That money could have been used for the poor and so much better things. What have you done? And they start to rebuke her harshly. And I mean, just for this woman, and most women couldn't afford that perfume, the reason that she had it is because that was almost the calling card of a prostitute in that time. 
Most women couldn't afford to wear that, and so the prostitutes would wear it because they would have the money from what they did, but they would use it as a sign that they were available to other men. Something happened in her life where she was around Jesus' teaching and what he said messed up her life situation. I mean, she's reacting to something, to an experience that changed her where she said, well, first of all, I want to worship him in an incredible way. But also within that, there's this thing of she broke open the jar and she poured it out. It's all gone. It's also this statement of I can't, I'm not going back to what I've been doing. And the people, the religious people in the room begin to correct her and say, say, you're being wasteful. This is ignorant. This is foolish. And, and Jesus corrects them and says, no, what she's done is a beautiful thing. And wherever the gospel is preached, people are going to be talking about this for the rest of history. And there was something, I believe, in her heart that had to, had to change and had to break. That, that, that God got a hold of it and she began to say, Whatever you want, whatever it means, whatever it costs. And I think that there's something inside of our head that we said, you know what, if I had $60,000 just sitting in my room, I can't think of a happier place to to, to keep that. Like, I I just, I want to hold on to the security of that. But there's something inside of her that said, this incredible treasure that I have, I can't think of anything more valuable than pouring that out in worship. And having a heart that's in that position is incredibly challenging. I mean, that would be a hard decision to make, but there was something that happened in her heart where the the value of just hanging on to this, the value of keeping it for other good reasons, I I won't use it for that anymore. That was just broken, and she said, it's just about worship now. And I don't, I don't know of a better feeling than, than when you can just say, you know what, my heart is right with God. None of these things that I own, own me anymore. Like, I, I'm just free to worship him. I, my things don't own me. People's opinions don't own me. I don't care if they criticize what I'm about to do. I don't care if they say I shouldn't even be in here with them. I'm walking in and I'm worshiping. And man, the church would be so much fun. If there was a large group of people that when they came into worship, they weren't concerned about other people's opinions of how they were doing it. They weren't concerned about, can someone else hear me sing? They they were only concerned about, God, I want to pour my worship and my love and my affection out to you. If that was the the heartbeat, if we had that much freedom, if the opinions and the thoughts of other people were completely broken off of our heart and our attitude, that would be a fun place to be. But to get there would require some breaking. Because I know, I mean, I'm the pastor and I still, I'm like, oh, I don't want to worship too loud. I don't want to disturb anybody. I, I don't want to sing too loud because I, I, I don't have Aspen's voice. Like, I struggle with these things. And so I, I would expect that some of you guys do as well. But I mean, that's part of the heartbeat of the prayer of God would you break off the, these concerns? Would you break off these, anything that messes with my worship and my life that I live for you, any of those attachments that I have to those things, would, would you break them? And, and this is why, as Jesus was teaching, and he, he said, you know, I'm like the vine, and you have to stay connected to me, because apart from me, you can do nothing. And my father, he, he prunes off any of the branches that don't bear any fruit. 
And even the ones that do bear fruit, the branches that are connected to me and they're doing well, my Father prunes them so that they'll bear even more fruit. And I want you to understand that this process of saying there's things in my life that God needs to break off, that he needs to prune off, this is a sign of a healthy believer. This isn't a sign of immaturity. Immaturity is the act of keeping on that mask that just says everything is okay. I'm just all right. Like there's no struggle. There's nothing that I'm working on. There's nothing that I'm trying to experience more freedom in. I'm just okay. Real maturity is being able to acknowledge, yeah, there's some things that I'm working on. Real maturity is saying, I'm still allowing God to prune that area of my life. Maturity is being able to say, whatever it costs, God, I want you to break me because I know whatever you break off doesn't belong in my life. Whatever you remove, I'm going to be better off without it. And whether it's pain that's come from your hand removing something that didn't belong, or it's pain that came from someone else's bad decision, we know that, that no pain is wasted with you. That, that, that you will work all things for good for those who, are, who love you and are called to your purpose. Like we know that whatever pain we walk through, that you're going to be there and you're going to guide us through it. And some of the table, they, they were indignant. They, why waste? Some people will look at your worship and they will, they will not understand why. Some people will look at the way that you respond to God and they just, they won't get it. Can we be okay with that? I mean, do we need the approval and the stamp and the signature of other people around us to affirm that we're doing what God has asked us to do? And, and, and I say that because I'm not trying to like be hard or harsh. I'm saying that because I want you to feel freedom in doing what you're supposed to do. Other people will give you your, their opinions way too often. You don't need them. You need the encouragement from Scripture. You need the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life guiding you. Because people will try to fix you so that you'll be like them, but you don't need to be broken like them. You need to be who God has called you to be. And your spiritual growth is going to look different from someone else's. And so you need to recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life that says this is where change needs to happen. And believe me, I believe in accountability and I believe in having people in your life that you give permission to challenge you. But you have to recognize when someone's just trying to shape you in their image or trying to help shape you in the image of the Son. And, and, and so other people's opinions will come flying in. We, we want to be, be freed from those things. We want to be able to get engaged in authentic worship that, that isn't bound up by other people's expectations, but is just the, the expression that we know God has put into our heart. And, and in this passage, we see, you know, just with, with the example, and it's interesting, the terms, because they line up with something that happens later in this chapter in Mark 14, you know, that, this idea that it was broken open and it was poured out. And there's questions of, did she break the top of it when she opened it, or was it a wax seal that she broke? None of that matters, because what's clear is if she was pouring out $60,000 worth of perfume, she's not really worried about the $20 jar. Like, that, that, that's not the thing. She wasn't using it again. This, this was done. This was over. It was broken, and it was poured out. Which, that, that, those terms are mirrored later down into this passage when, when Jesus is instituting... Um, what we refer to as the Last Supper or communion. And in the same chapter in Mark, down into verse 22, it says, while they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, take this, 
This is my body. And he took a cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and they, they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It's poured out as a sacrifice for many. Now, as we see this, and Jesus is saying, you know, this is my body that's broken for you, and it's poured out. It has this interesting parallel to, to what just happened. And as we read this, all scholars agree that Jesus was setting up something that he wanted the church to continually do. He wanted them to take communion together. Certain scholars, not all of them, will say, but what he's saying in here isn't just the act of communion, but actually the style of living. This thing of your life, you should be, it should be broken and it should be poured out for others. And whether you think within the context of this verse, that's what it's speaking to or not, we can definitely take you to plenty other passages that, that confirm this, like, like Luke 9.23, where Jesus said, if anyone wants to be my disciple, they have to take up their cross and follow me. Or, or Romans 12.1, where the Apostle Paul's writing, and he says, I urge you to live your lives as living sacrifices, or, or in Philippians where the Apostle Paul is saying, my, my life is like a drink offering poured out to the Lord. There is a reality that Christianity is not going to be easy for the follower of Christ. I want to let that soak in for a minute. Because it's not that we need to make life harder on ourselves, but it's a reality of the design that we ha have the, the, this part of us that tries to fall in love with things that don't matter. And God calls us to live a life that will have significance and impact. And that comes at a cost. It comes at a strain. It comes at growth that often feels a lot like pain. And so I want you to enter into it with the mindset of, am I doing something that's challenging? Is it costing my time and my talent and my treasure? Be because if right now I'd say my Christian faith isn't causing me to strain in any area, then you might have fallen backwards. Because on some levels, it should be challenging. It should feel like, man, this is breaking my heart. And I don't know how you can really be engaged in any city in the world without looking around and seeing some things that just do break your heart. There are families in our city going through incredibly difficult things. And I know it's easier for me to not look at them, but when I do look at them, I know that God moves in my heart and says, what can you do? And you might look at it and say, well, if I get involved with that, it's going gonna, it's gonna to cost, yes. It's going to maybe bring anxiety. It's going to bring in more work, yes. But God's plan of rescue for this world is the church that carries the gospel wherever they go. Because wherever the gospel goes, healing goes. Wherever the gospel goes, life goes. Wherever the gospel goes, there's an invitation that's given to people who are hurting to come be part of this, this group of people who will hold each other up through anything life brings. There's a cost. Life's greatest breaking points, man, they, they lead to God's greatest blessings. When, when I think about 
our life and our experience. There, there's part of us that also says, you know, well, I've messed up too much and I, I don't know if God would bring me back from this. I want to call your memory back to something that you know in Luke chapter 22, where it says, but Peter said, and this is where, G, where, where Jesus had told Peter, you're going to deny me. And he said, no, I'll never do it. I'll follow you even to the death. And then when Jesus was taking, taken in verse 60, and we can put this up on the screen, it, Peter said to someone who was asking if he knew Jesus, man, I don't know what you were talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And at that moment, maybe you never caught this part of the passage before. Peter was close enough where this happened. And at that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. On that third denial, Peter made eye contact with the Lord. And suddenly the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times. That even, that even you know me. And then Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. If you don't know too much about Peter, I mean, first know that he failed significantly. It's one thing to fall into temptation and it's another thing to just outright in fear, just say, I don't even know Jesus. And, and, and he fell hard, about as hard as you can fall. But God wasn't done with Peter. And in fact, Peter was the person that, that God used to lead the church and Jesus' absence on earth, like, like God did incredible things through Peter. God, God restored him and, and he brought him back up. And, and, I, and I, I believe that a crucial part of Peter's experience in being able to lead was the fact that he experienced such brokenness, such failure. I mean, he had to get up from the very bottom. And I think that's one of the things that enabled him to lead. And I've seen this in so many different experiences. As I, I was preparing and working through a call for church planting, I remember when one of my mentors sat down and basically said, Paul, I want you to tell me every, every failure, every heartache you've ever had. And I'm like, that does not sound like fun at all. <laughs> and so going back through all of the stories that messed up my heart in different ways growing up, and he's like drawing, he has like this egg, and he's drawing different cracks to represent different things. And I'm like, this is, this is terrible. And in my head, I'm also processing, man, as I tell him this, and he gets recognition of how broken my past experience is, he's not going to want to help me plant a church, but I can't lie to him, so I have to tell him, and I'm telling him these things, and, and how we got hurt in different places, and got hurt by a church, and he looked at me, and he looked at the page, and the things that he did that symbolized each of the hurts, and he said, Paul, if you didn't have these, I wouldn't be able to help you church plant. This goal, this dream that you have on your heart, it wouldn't be able to happen if those pains didn't happen. Band, if you guys will make your way up, I'm going to begin to wrap this thing up. I'm not saying that every pain that you've walked through and experienced that God has caused it. But I, I am saying that those pains, that the places where you, you, you've strained and you've felt challenge that God will use them in incredible ways. And for the person who says, I want to grow, I want to be spiritually healthy, brokenness is part of that growth. Peter, he walked through an experience where I can't even imagine the heartache that he felt in that moment and the challenge that he felt when Jesus was restoring him to ministry. I mean, he, he was one of the highest of leaders. He fell as far as you can fall within your own life. 
whatever has laid behind you, I want you to know it doesn't disqualify you. It's easy to talk about what's behind us, but whatever is happening right now, the decision, the behavior, the action that happened on Saturday night, Friday night, this last week, the struggle that you carry in here with you today, I believe God brings us at these intersections where he says, are you gonna continue to just pretend and go this way? Are you gonna acknowledge that there's something unhealthy that needs to be broken off of your life? And in recognition that there will be struggle, in recognition that there will be pain, in recognition that there will be discomfort in saying yes to God, I hope you recognize that God is leading you towards something better. there's purpose in the pain because it leads to growth. You know, just like the decision, I don't want to go to the gym because it's going to hurt me. It's going to be difficult. It's going to cause micro tears in my muscles. We know the healthiest thing to do is to get to work. But there's a decision to be made. Will you choose to start because when God sees in your heart that you're willing, that you're willing to take that first step, and he sees you take that first step, he meets you right there with strength. He meets you right there with his presence. Sometimes the, the healthiest thing, the thing that we desperately need is breaking. Let's pray. Lord, we know that there are behaviors and there are habits and there are addictions that have been part of our story for too long. And we know that you are powerful. We know that you are able. We know that you are gracious. And we know that you are holy. And so you call us to take steps forward. May we meet your call with bravery and courage to say yes. May we experience the strength that only comes from you. May we experience the story that you have designed for us. We thank you that you call us out of these patterns. 